Hey everybody, it's Father Edward Looney, the host of How They Love Mary and author of the new book, How They Love Mary, 28 Life-Changing Stories of Devotion to Our Lady, available from Sophia Institute Press. I am enjoying so much my weekly conversations with different guests about the lessons as we go through the book one by one, person by person. Did you know that you could wear a sock honoring many of the different individuals who are found in How They Love Mary? In the month of June, I'll be talking about St. Therese of Lisieux and St. Kateri Tekakwitha and Fulton Sheen. Those three individuals all have a sock at Sock Religious. And when I talk about St. Faustina, well, she's the visionary who received the Divine Mercy. And you can find a pair of Divine Mercy socks at Sock Religious. Head over to Sock Religious by using the link in the show notes and begin wearing socks for the glory of God and in honor of the saints. Hello, my name is Father Edward Looney, and you are listening to the podcast, How They Love Mary, a podcast that I hope will either be the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion. We are continuing to make our way through the book, How They Love Mary, and now we are at lesson number five, in which I focused on Adele Bryce. Some people also say Adele Brees. We'll see how today's guest wants to pronounce it. And uh, the lesson I wrote was called Relying on Mary's Prayers, that Adele was one who throughout her entire life prayed to the Blessed Virgin and saw the efficacy of that intercession. The name Adele Bryce might be familiar to you because she is the visionary of the 1859 church-approved Marian apparition in Champion, Wisconsin. That message commemorated today at the National Shrine of Our Lady of Good Help is located in Champion, just about 20 minutes from Green Bay. And it's a simple Marian apparition with a simple story. It happens one year after Lourdes, France. So you have that. You kind of see in Lourdes, Mary as the Immaculate Conception and how she reveals herself to Adele as the Queen of Heaven, the beginning and the end of Mary's life in just two years of Marian apparitions. And I've written a lot about Our Lady of Good Help, and I wrote this prayer book uh, called Our Lady of Good Help, Prayer Book for Pilgrims, available from Tan Books. Uh, in the early days of the, appar- of the approval of the apparition, I had written several devotionals, which are now simply contained in this book. Uh, I had done a paper for the Mariological Society in 2010 on the apparition. So I've done a lot to advance kind of our theological understanding of this Marian apparition, But I was so happy to learn that there are other writers now taking interest, and I kind of really wanted to pass the baton in a sense. I felt that I made my contribution, and I wanted to see what other people would bring out as they reflected and as they theologized on this apparition of Our Lady. And Marge Fenlon is one of those individuals. She has written a lot about the Blessed Virgin Mary throughout her life. One of my favorite books of hers is called Forgiving Mother. She also had a Marian pilgrimage book, uh, My Queen, My Mother, a nine-day pilgrimage to many different Marian shrines here in the United States so that you could do an armchair pilgrimage. And now she's bringing us to the shrine of Our Lady of Good Health, the story of Mary's apparition or America's Mary, as the book is titled. So thanks for joining me. Thanks for writing this book, Marge Fenlin. Hey, Father, I am really excited to be here, not only to get the chance to talk to you, who I look up to as as a fellow author, but then to talk about this new book, which I find to be a blessing to my life. And I hope that it blesses others in the way that it has blessed me. Well, that's interesting you say something like that, because I think, too, in a lot of the work that I've done, I've been blessed by the work that I did. You know, writing the book, How They Love Mary and the 28 Lessons and reflecting on these different people who've impacted my spiritual life. When we get to lesson number 28 in the book, in our 28-week series of diving into each person, 
Uh, this nun, Sister Teresita Cavedo, you know, surprised by her, didn't know her, was introduced to her, read her biography, totally blessed my life, changed my life. You know, I've been doing a project on Maria of Agreda for the entire year of 2022 uh, by doing a daily reading from the mystical city of God, reading it all 2,500 pages uh, through a podcast format. And, uh, you know, that's just richly blessed me. You know, I, I said, if only one person listened to the podcast, well, it was worth it just to do it for myself and, and for whoever that other person is. And there's been a great interest. But yeah, the work that we do as writers, as authors, whatever, uh, is something that really enriches us and uh, deepens our own spiritual life, I think. And that's probably what you found as you really made many trips to the Shrine and Champion and we know that grace is abundant, God gives grace, and so you receive that grace uh, in those holy places uh, as you've visited there. I indeed. I mean I, I want to say I want to circle all of the above because this is this is absolutely true. As I was I'm, I'm glad that I'm not the only author that goes through this, but but the the more I researched the book, the more I worked on the book, the more surprised I was at how little I really knew. And and like you, Father, I'm not too far from the shrine. I'm only two hours south of it. And I the only way I found out, and I'm a little bit embarrassed to admit, but this is the way God works. I found out about it because at the time I was writing new uh, feature stories for National Catholic Register. I do still write for them from time to time. But I was doing this at, on a regular basis, and my assignment was to to write about the the shrine there, Our Lady of Good Help, and the fact that in this was back in 2010, Bishop Ricken of Green Bay had approved the apparition. So it was the first church-approved Marian apparition in the United States, and this was this was a big deal. It still is a big deal, and and so I I covered that that story, and that was my first introduction to to the shrine to Adele Brees and I I say Brees Bryce Brees and you know what it also depends on who I'm talking to sometimes. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I've I've used them interchangeably myself. <laughs> but but that was my so so it was very interesting. I went at it. I, I began the re, my relationship there with Adele with the shrine with the the apparition because I was it was more like a curious reporter. You know, oh, what is this? What's going on here? And and I, I did I did the, the article and became attracted to the place. And so a number of years went by where I visited it and reaped all the benefits of that amazing place, but didn't do much else to put pen to paper, so to speak, regarding the shrine. And and then yeah, it was about three years of work. About three years ago, our Sunday visitor approached me, and they asked if I would consider writing a book on the apparition and and Adele and the whole story around that from a more historical perspective. So many of my books, most of my books, I would say, are very they're they're spiritual in the sense of they're meditative prayerful you know there's usually an action item to help you lead you deeper into your faith life this was completely different this was this was a storyteller and in, as a matter of fact when i first embarked on on the the the, the task and I, I nearly said no i had to think about it for a very long time because i i sensed this would be a huge amount of work which, which indeed it was, and I wasn't quite sure that was what God was calling me to do. But once I had, once I was positive that this is what the Blessed Mother was asking of me, one of the first steps I did was to meet with B Bishop Rickham. I was told at the at the diocese, you you should you should really sit down with Bishop Rickham, let him know about your intentions for this book, and so on and so forth. And my my main question to him was, you know, Bishop, I consider myself a servant of the church, and I would like to know 
what I can do for the church with this book. What, what should I, how should I approach this? And I, you know, I said, I'm asking you as a spiritual child, um, what in, in, so please speak, you know, however God uses you as his instrument, show me then what I can do for the church. And he said, Marge, just, just use your storyteller skills and write the, and tell the story. He said, you are, you're a great storyteller. Just do that. And, and it was just, it was, I practically melted because like, oh my goodness, that's it. That's exactly what I need to do. And I think that was part of why I was grappling with it because it's like all this information and do I try to do it academically and how, you know, how do I approach all of this? And here it was, just tell (laughs) the story. And, and so as I'm looking to tell the story, I'm realizing that the story was told to me in, in many ways as I would uncover, uncover, excuse me, all of the, the amazing facts and, and little anecdotes and, and stories, other stories, you know, stories within stories that had to do with the apparitions and the shrine. So my understanding from what you just shared is that you're a fellow Wisconsinite. You live down in the Milwaukee suburb area, in the metro area there. You've been a Marian devotee your entire life. Schoenstatt has been a very important place to you. You shared about that in episode 7 of How They Love Mary. So you appeared on this show in May, on May 7th, 2019, and here you are now as we're crossing and nearing 150 episodes if we don't surpass it by the time your episode releases. So, uh, so your familiarity with the shrine came from the approval. And so for since 2010, then you've become this student of Our Lady, especially of this apparition. Yes, that, that's a great way to put it. And, and I, I knew that it would be an important that the shrine, that, that whole land, it isn't just the, the shrine, it's that whole piece of land that it's on. I knew that would become an important part of my heart the moment I set foot there. And, and, and I still get this same feeling when I go there now. And, and, it's, and I've heard this from all through the book, working on the book, all of the different people, even for that initial article that I had interviewed so many, I even, I also had a chapter of it in my book, my queen, my mother. So interviewing for that, that chapter in that book on, on Adele and, and the, the apparitions, peace, everybody said the same thing. What, what is it like to go there? What do you sense? Peace. And that is exactly what it is. And it still astounds me to this day. You know, we're talking how many years later since, oh goodness, 12 years since since I first set foot there. And at that time, there were not the improvements to the land that have been done to date. So they now have a, a conference hall because the crowds, the, 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 the groups that they were serving became larger and larger, <clears throat> excuse me, and so they needed a building to, uh, to accommodate them. Well, if you've got a larger building, you've got more people, you need a decent parking lot, so the parking lot and so on and so forth. But never once, not, not, not for a split second, did, did that place lose its sense of peace amid all of these developments. And I've been there on days where you see the buses parked in the parking lot and you know there are an awful lot of people somewhere on that property and it's just quiet and peaceful. And I, I just marvel at this. And, and I ask the Blessed Mother, how can this be? Hmm. Because normally when you get a big group of people, there's there's movement and there's noise. And I don't know, Father, if, if you've had the same kind of experience, but it's like, where is she hiding all of these people? Like, how is this? This is so incredible. And I, and I feel as though I'm walking in a little section of heaven when I'm there. You know, obviously, if they're having a large event, of course, then there's sound and noise and activity. But, but 
you know, on, on a pilgrimage visit, and you know that it's it's filled with other pilgrims, and yet it's so beautiful and reverent and peaceful. And 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 to our listeners, if if you can go there, please do. Please go visit so you can see what Father and I are talking about because your heart will change. I, I guarantee it. Your heart will change. And I've seen this happen. People in my life, I, I, I have one person in my life who was away from the church for, I don't know, 30 years or more. It went because his wife wanted to go. So it was kind of a curiosity thing and walked away with, with a completely changed heart and just, just an hour to visit. I mean, phenomenal. Well, that's what happens at some of these Marian apparition sites and they're very blessed places and God is at work. And when you encounter the message, and that's one of the things I always communicate is that I always feel that some people go to a shrine and they don't know the story. They don't know what they should do. They don't know where they should be. They don't know the significance of what they're looking at. They almost need a personal guide to be with them. There, there are so many shrines that I think about this. You know, even down at Holy Hill, for example, here in Wisconsin, I had a friend that went down to Holy Hill and I said, well, did you go on the second level and see that beautiful, marvelous St. Therese Chapel? No, they didn't. They had no idea. I'm like, oh, the stained glass windows are marvelous. They tell the life of St. Therese. And, and, uh, and so you need someone like yourself who's telling the historical story. You need mm -hmm. someone to be able to guide you as, as you visit a place so that, you know, a lot of people go there. Yeah, they know Mary appeared there. there. They know it's like Lourdes or Guadalupe or Fatima. It's our America, Fatima or Lourdes, right? So people know that. They know Mary appeared there, but they might not know much more. They don't know much. They, they might see a picture of Adele and they're like, oh, that's the woman that saw Mary. But they don't know the struggles that this woman went through. And so what what's maybe one thing, maybe two if you want, uh, as you looked at the life of the visionary Adele, was there anything that just stood out to you, kind of something unbelievable, uh, anything that made an impression on you? Oh, goodness. Yeah, many things. But but in particular, there there's one line from the apparition as Adele had relayed this later to to record for history and and the blessed mother is is telling adele you know i want you to go and teach teach the children in this wild country what they need to know for salvation so this is this is part of the mission that well the main part of the mission that she gives to adele and adele was not very well educated only grade school education mm -hmm. It isn't like this. This young woman was was a theology major, but she was fairly uncultured, fairly uneducated, and she tells the Blessed Mother how you know. And I'm definitely paraphrasing here, but how 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 am I supposed to do this? And 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 she uses the line, "I who know so little." That is amazing to me at so many levels. Her humility. Her, her sense of realism, of, you know, <laughs> this is reality. I'm not very well educated, Blessed Mother. And, okay, so exactly how am I supposed to, to, to be doing this? And, and then the Blessed Mother's answer is, is to go and I will help you. And that's enough for, for Adele. So I who know so little, and then the Blessed Mother's answer and and she just Adele she just does it, she 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 doesn't. She just does it, and and that faith that she had, and I think I find myself actually saying that to myself, is uh, I'm you know, working on a writing project or you know, like this morning we had major I had major techno problems here and it, and and I you know it's like well, how am I supposed to fix this I who know so little I, mean, <laughs> I find myself using that same line in so many circumstances 
you know, before I have a speaking engagement. Blessed Mother, what am I supposed to say? I who know so little. You know, and just realizing that she, the she meaning the Blessed Mother, she knows and she's got this. And so, so I who know so little uh, need to trust in her more like Adele did. And and I think that is that that line for me is representative of El, of Adele's complete trust. And that was her whole life, trust in the Blessed Mother. When we look at the message, so you bring out one of the lines of the apparition that, you know, um, I who know so little. And we look at the entirety of Mary's message, as you mentioned, go and fear nothing, I will help you. Adele has that help of Mary all throughout her life. What do you think the message of the apparition, what's its meaning for us today? I think... There's a secondary line that I that I that most most touched my heart from from that apparition, and and that is the Blessed Mother specifically says, "Teach the children what they need to know for salvation," and she says, "In this wild country," she specifically says, "In this wild country," and I look at our country today, and I think, "Well, this is pretty wild." <laughs> All, all of the things that are that that's go that are going on, and and it, I, I mean, everyone knows we're, we're we're in it right now. We're all living in this together. It, if you're in the United States, listening to this, it, it, this wild country, it's very much a wild country. Now, the Blessed Mother at the time, 1859, she's she's talking about. And there was a dual, I think, anyway, a dual aspect to that to that line in this wild country. First of all, it literally was wild country. the The North Woods of Wisconsin at the at that time were it it, it was it was it was wild is is the best description. So so you you had miles and miles and miles of forest that was so thick that that often the sun didn't even shine through it. I mean, this is I don't I don't know that we can even imagine that much. Uh, unless you're a naturist and you find areas in in the world that are still like that, but this was pristine pristine forest, so it's a, it was literally a wild country, undeveloped, and wild with all the dangers uh, that the pioneers faced, all the dangers of a of a very unsophisticated, undeveloped country. So you have that. You have then also these migrants, these Belgian Belgian immigrants, I should say, who who didn't have, first of all, the mass in their own language, at least initially. Then then there weren't many priests to minister to them. So so in this wild country that didn't have, you know, in, in many areas of our country, you can you you go even you know especially the certain areas that that were populated earlier than than later in the history of our country where you could go just within a mile you could have two or three churches in some areas it was, sure was not like that at the time and miles and miles the, the the church that Adele went to was 11 miles away that's one way so so this wild country un, undeveloped unchurched and and the, the these these immigrants not only the belgians but there were other there were other people of other heritages there as well immigrants where where they faced the real threat of losing their faith because they didn't have anyone to teach them they didn't have uh, priests or at least definitely not enough to minister to them with the sacraments and so forth. So, so this was a very wild country spiritually. And, and so to teach the children in that circumstance was very critical for the preservation of the faith. Now look at our, day, our, our world today. We are facing, for different reasons, the same problem. If we do not teach the children, and by this, I broaden that term by including the children of God. So myself included, adults, the, the, the children, we are all children of God, regardless of age. And we are in danger of losing our faith. We, we not only need to teach the little ones to preserve the, the faith right now in our world, but our 
we ourselves, we who know so little, we need to learn and continue to deepen our faith ourselves in this wild country that continually threatens our faith. Definitely. And I think that is one of the aspects of the message that often gets emphasized, you know, teach the people what they need to know for salvation. Really, there is that need for teaching today that some people are not catechized. People today aren't being baptized, you know, they've lost the sense of faith. And so the apparition really is this return to faith. And you know, and one of the things you just mentioned was about the historical situation, that there were the immigrant churches, people weren't going to Mass, things of that nature. Now, we know that this apparition took place in 1859. There were three apparitions of Our Lady. The first apparition, Adele was walking to the local gristmill. The second apparition, Adele was walking along the same wooded trail to the church. The third apparition, on her way home from the church. And so that's when she was given the message by the priest, ask the woman in God's name, who are you and what do you want of me? 1859, Sunday, October 9th. Sunday was October 9th. There's a person out there who's trying to say the apparition took place in a different year, maybe in 1857, that, that we have espoused the wrong historical narrative and that there's a secondary narrative and all this stuff. What do you make of kind of that suggestion as a person that has just studied so much as I have um, the story. You know, one of the reasons he says this is that there was a, actually a local church already built there, so she wouldn't have had to walk to Bay Settlement. She could have gone to this other church. But I'm, I'm thinking that we're making a lot of assumptions if, if we're going to look at that. Like, why did she walk by the church in Theory Dames to go to Bay Settlement? Well, couldn't it be that maybe the church in Theory Dames didn't have mass that weekend? How do we know what their mass schedule was? Do we have mm -hmm. bulletins mm -hmm. about this? <laughs> you know, like how do you know how they were worshiping or the availability of a priest? The whole thing was the fact that these Belgian immigrants were falling away from the practice of the faith because they didn't have priests who spoke their language. And there was a priest like Father John Peridon who would come in and say the Mass, or Father Edward Dames would come. But how often did they come? How often did they have Mass? And how often would they have to go to Bay Settlement because there wasn't Mass in their little mission church? So I think to, to make that argument that based upon availability of churches or whatever, you know, I think, too, there's a, a comment that maybe there was a grist mill that was closer. Why was she walking to this one when there's one right here? Well, could that one have been closed that day? Could mm -hmm. they have just lost a family member and so they were closed to mm -hmm. mourn the death of someone? I don't know. Like, we're trying to, to make assumptions of a historical story that's been handed down to us and try to insert a new narrative that individual is. So... What do you make of all of this that that I just said? I guess it, what I it, what I make of all of this is it, it, what what I held on to as I was researching all of this because I did run it I, I did run into the the same individual you mentioned and and the skepticism there and I, I also ran into a good amount of skepticism at uh, the, the Brown County Library uh, as I was doing some historical research. You know, it, 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 they hear you writing a book about such and such, and everybody is an authority. And make sure you don't write it this way and so on and so forth. And I got an awful lot of that. And and all of the stuff that they say over there is just pish posh and so on. Um, okay, what do I make of this? First of all, Adele never changed her story. She never changed her story. She was, she relayed the exact same story in the exact same way every single time she told it. Now, as you pointed out, October 9th was the date of the apparition. It was a Sunday if, in 1859. If you look in the calendar, go back in the calendars and you, you will see 1859, October 9th, was a Sunday. I agree with you, given the fact that we, especially since we just talked about this being 
uh, a wild country. Yes, not every church had mass every Sunday. And, and so it would not have been, I think, out of the ordinary for Adele to be going to base settlement for mass that Sunday versus three dames. There, there just is no question there of the date in my mind and in looking at the various documents, there's no question in my mind that the apparition was October 9th and that this is what happened. Now, the, the, the grist mill, I was told at the shrine that likely it was the one in Dykesville. Yes, were there closer ones? Yes, possibly. But again, this is undeveloped country. And <laughs> it's not like today where you know that supermarket is going to have these hours on these days year round. And this is the way it it, it's concrete and it's it's not going to change it wasn't like that you know it, in those days the the business world in the northwards woods of wisconsin was not that that sophisticatedly that's not a word but i just made it up i guess uh, but it, it was not that developed so yeah it's conceivable that there might have been one closer but for whatever reason, maybe she got a better price. Maybe she got a better deal at at the the grist mill in in, in Dykesville or or toward base settlement. What wherever it was, she went to the grist mill. I mean, it just we just we know this, and we know that it was along that same path where the Blessed Mother appeared on Sunday, October 9th, as she went to and from mass in Bay settlement these these are things that are in my mind these are non-negotiables so so to have people play around with these i consider them facts it, it just makes me think that you know the nasty guy will want to put doubt in people's minds in whatever larger small way ways that that he can and i'm not saying that this individual is the devil's instrument i do not mean that at all but but i do mean that that it would be advantageous for the evil one to to use these kinds of things you know people may be disagreeing on a date or so or there was also some disagreement on the the position of the altar was that really the apparitions apparition spot and so on and so forth. You know, he he would like he would love nothing more than to to mess around with these details and put doubt in anyone's mind. I think Someone's one of the mind. things you walk away as you're kind of saying, well, you know, here's this doubt this person's trying to put or posit or whatever. Mm -hmm. But when you see the crutches of people that have been healed. When you hear the continued graces that people have received, when you see people going to confession and praying the rosary and going to mass and receiving Holy Communion reverently, as Our Lady said, teach them how to receive the Holy Eucharist was one of the conditions that Mary said. So I guess, you know, I, I guess these stories of healings and God at work are just supplemental to the fact of this was truly God's work and God is still at work and he's not done just because he sent his mother in 1859. He's still working to this day. And I'm wondering in your in your research and the interviews you did, did you talk to some of the miracle people, the people who've had stories? Now, there was a gentleman and I, I'm not going to get his name right, but I think his name was like Ralph or maybe his last name was Martin. I could be wrong. Not Ralph Martin, mm -hmm. the, the author, but mm -hmm. But this was an individual who had a profound healing. I heard him speak at a Marian conference one time. But I don't know if you spoke with anybody of this uh, caliber that had some of these healings uh, associated with the apparition. This is something that I, I think if I have any regrets regarding that book, it would be that I, I did not specifically include uh, sections on the actual 
miracles. So no, I did not, for the purposes of the book, did not interview people who had directly experienced miracles. And I, we talked about that back and forth, uh, the editor and I, and decided to, to lean more toward historical and, and the storytelling aspect of the apparition itself. And the reason behind that was so that in a, in a way, the focus has to be on, or, or for purposes of the book, was, was on the, what led up to the apparitions and then the apparitions and then what, what developed after the fact there with, with the shrine. I think, I hope, I should say, that the, the Blessed Mother leads me to revisit that idea of, of the people who have experienced miracles and, and to somehow, or if it's not me, then, then I hope she chooses another author to do that because that's a part of the, the story that is yet to be told. I went at it a little bit different from this really did happen this, this, as if it were fact. And, and so that was more the way I was looking at it. It was, it's, it's a fact. This is what happened. And I'm going to tell you what went into that and, and what's happened there since. When we think of the visionaries of different Marian apparitions like Lourdes, well, we know that was St. Bernadette in Fatima, St. Francisco and Jacinto Martos, and Sister Lucia, who is got a cause for canonization. We think of Guadalupe, St. Juan Diego. Now, there are other apparitions like La Salette, where Melanie and Maxim are not saints of the church, or the Borang apparition of 1932 and 33. those five visionaries. The last one just died uh, in the mid-2010 decade, so maybe 2015, 2016, she died. Mm -hmm. So uh, do you think that Adele Bryce, Adele Brees, who had this Marian apparition in 1859, that one day we might call her Saint Adele? I pray so, Father. I, I fell in love, in a proper way, of course, with Adele the more I worked on the book. And realizing what it had to take, the kind of character, the kind of faith it had to take to do what she did. In my mind, personally, I have no doubt that she is a saint and should be considered a canonized saint. And I know there's been talk of that at the shrine. I, I know also that they're not, if there is something underway, it's not at a point yet, at least that I know of last I spoke with them of making it, you know, it giving any public information in terms of how far the cause has gone. But, but I'm not the only one that thinks that. And I know that there are stirrings of pursuing this. I, I think she is, and I think she should be. And I think anyone else who looks at her life would agree. What do you think she'll be the patron saint of? Wow. I think the word that comes to my mind is trust. And that's not quite the way, you know, patronage would be, would be phrased. But, but I, I would think the patron, the patron saint of those in doubt that is that's what I that's what I could see, because she, well, you know, when you read the book, you'll you'll know all of the different most of the the different stories that surround her life and what she did with these children, but there were there were times when you know it came to the point where she you know she did do as the blessed mother asked traveled on foot radius of fifty some miles going house to house asking, please, may I teach your children their catechism? And in exchange, would do housework or farm work for these people so that they would allow her, <laughs> think about that, allow her to teach their children. 
she she nearly exhausted herself it was it was having an impact on her health and so her or her spiritual advisor suggested you know what you really need to do is you need you need a building you need to bring the children to you so that you can serve them better so you you're not exhausting yourself and the the long story short is she did exactly that and it it became uh, it became a, a, a children in orphanage where it was a boarding school and and I, I call it an orphanage but it really was a boarding school because so many of these parents would and that's a whole nother part of the story but would abandon their children there and and so here is Adele with her her this group of five women she had these had other women who joined to help in this this mission eventually and they have all these children and, and the idea of a boarding school is that the parents would pay some room and board to help support the kids well then if you've got kids who are abandoned there or or parents who have their children enrolled and they renege on their their the tuition well they're left without anything to feed these kids and there were many times and this is where i get my idea of those in doubt or or somehow with the patron saint of trust or those who want to trust more i don't it would take me a while to, to work that around but anyway many many cases where the cupboard was bored bare excuse me they had nothing for these children and Adele never lost her cool. She never lost her cool. She would tell everyone, okay, I'm going to, if the children were, were in bed, she would, she would go and she would pray and say, you know, don't worry. She would tell the other women, don't worry, all will be well. And in the morning, sure enough, either there was something on their doorstep or in a, a lot of something, you know, enough to, to, to feed them. And, or, or she would, um, there would be a, you know, somebody would pull up in a wagon and say, oh, by the way, could you, <laughs> could you use this? That is such trust. You know, I've, I've raised a family and when, when things got lean, I was like beside myself, like, oh my goodness, <laughs> what are we going to do with this? And um, that, that superb level of trust, I could not achieve. I hope now I'm getting closer to that, having studied Adele's life. But that is that's got to be part of her patronage, and that that still encompasses this idea of of teaching the children of God what they need to do for salvation and furthering the faith. Because in order to go out and do that, you have to have trust in God and trust in our Blessed Mother that she will help you. I think it's very interesting that you say trust, because that's really the lesson, as I titled it, and how they love Mary, relying on Mary's prayers. And so she relied on those prayers and that promise of Our Lady, go in, fear nothing, I will help you. So she had a trust that Our Lady wasn't going to leave her orphaned or abandoned, that God was really going to work in her life through the powerful intercession of the Blessed Virgin. Perhaps more practically, she might be the patron saint of catechists. I could see that. Mm-hmm. There's this other American on the road to sainthood, a, a Native American named Nicholas Black Elk, that maybe could be the patron saint of catechists too. Um, mm-hmm. I know a person that experienced a healing grace from Champion that they had Lyme's disease, and they've been going to the shrine and Champion and praying and praying and and they had the release of the effects of Lyme's disease. And if you kind of think about Adele's life, she was walking through wooded areas. Ticks would have been common or prominent as she went about her evangelical labors of instructing the children. So maybe she would be a powerful intercessor in that regard. So those are just a few that I put forward myself as what she could possibly be the patron saint of. And so we pray that God will quickly raise her to the altars of the church, that the church will open a cause for canonization. Just to mention, causes for canonization are quite costly and expensive, and they take a long time. So she won't become a saint next year by any stretch of the imagination. But hopefully within our lifetime, we'll see her called Blessed Adele and then Saint Adele. Oh, I do pray for that. I do. 
As we maybe bring this to a close, anything else that you want to mention about the Shrine and Champion, about America's Mary? Now, that's a unique title, America's Mary. It's the only church-approved Marian apparition, of course. Many were hopeful that Our Lady of America would have been approved, but unfortunately, the six bishops found some struggles with a teaching about St. Joseph and the message, which I contend is not uh, a contentious issue at all and can actually be theologized correctly. But anyways, uh, this is America's Mary. This is America's Lourdes or America's Guadalupe or America's Fatima. So it's a very special place. So um, I'm not sure if there's anything else that maybe you want to share about the impression it's really made on you. The the impression it's made on me it is this sense of immediacy, and and what I mean by that is, I, I was I'm thrilled with the title I'm thrilled with America's Mary because there was, it was one of the usually I raggle a little bit with book titles uh, over book titles with my with my publishers but this one I when they suggested I thought that's right on and and here's the reason. What the takeaway is for me, and I and I hope for our listeners, I hope for our reader, my my readers, the readers. Well, your book, you have books also about the the apparition. Um, is is that she came not just for 1859 Wisconsin. Her message, she came to our country, people. Our country, think about that. She came to our country with a specific message that is meant for all of us, every single one of us. Because she doesn't just, when, when the Blessed Mother appears, she doesn't, she doesn't just appear for that little group of people, although the things that she says are, are pertinent to the, the locals, if you will, but there, it's also meant for people of all time. And so we need to listen up. We need to look back at those apparitions and embrace what our Blessed Mother said. And that, for me, is the takeaway. America's Mary. She came here with a very specific message for, for me, for you, Father, and for every person who lives in this country, basically, for all of us. And I think the message, you you brought out the kind of the active component of the message of gathering and teaching, but there's this spiritual aspect of the message, which was to offer your Holy Communion for the conversion of sinners, because Mary said, I am the Queen of Heaven who prays for the conversion of sinners. And then she said, make a general confession. And so there's that prayerful aspect. It's a message for us to return to the sacrament of reconciliation. I often hear people remark, it's been a long time since I've been to confession, but I don't believe I have to go to confession. I can just go, I can just ask God alone for forgiveness. I hear this from people in just common conversation. And so here we have this message of Our Lady, and she says, make a general confession. Maybe it's time. You hear this message of Our Lady, you make that confession. You look at the things of the past 10, 15 years and say, these are the things I really need to ask God. I want to hear those words of absolution. I know someone in my life, let's just say, they, they need conversion. They're, they've gone astray. Well, I could begin offering my communion at Mass because Our Lady told Adele to do that. Offer your communion for the conversion of sinners. So there's so much richness in this Marian apparition that Mary, as you said, speaking to all of us and inviting us and calling us to live that message then uh, in our own lives. So you can do that without having visited the shrine. And if you visit the shrine, well, then it makes it come home all the more for you uh, to want to live that message and to please Our Lady. I know I visit lots of Marian apparition sites throughout the world. And that's one of the takeaways always is like, how can I live this message that Our Lady spoke in this spot? to fulfill her request. And that's really what you're trying to help people do. That's what I'm trying to help people do. And uh, and so we listened to Our Lady as she spoke here in the United States of America. 
Well said. And, and I'm very, very delighted that you brought forth the spiritual aspect. I, I In my mind, I'm thinking that's a given, but it isn't for everybody. So I'm thank you for bringing that out. And you wrote the book, America's Mary. It is available from OSV. You do a lot of other writing, other, I know you have a podcast yourself. So if people want to follow you, learn more about all the stuff you're doing, what's your website, what are your podcasts or other things you want to make people aware of? Well, the, the best place to go if you want to find out anything about me is marchfenelin.com. So all one word, marchfenelin.com. I, I do I, I do write for the register. I, I'm here and there. So so you, you know you can see my everything is going to be there on my website where what's my later, latest articles. I do have a podcast of my own. It's called Simply Holy, and that is distributed through Breadbox Media. But you can also find the link on my website again, MarchFenland.com. Now I've got some YouTube videos if people want to to watch the video. Uh, version of of my podcast simply holy and uh, i speaking engagements the coming up in it right now there's it's there's some that are certain some that are not but uh, up next is i will be in schaumburg illinois for the catholic writers guild conference and uh, i'll be speaking there so if you're interested in the arts catholic arts and letters come on down and way into september then Looking into September, I have the Women's Catholic Women's Conference for the Diocese of Saint Cloud, and and then I put all of this all of this goes up on my website. So there's a few other um, irons in the fire that aren't quite ready to to put up publicly yet, but they'll be there. MarchFenland.com. I've been to Saint Cloud before, and I don't know where this Women's Conference is, but when you go up there, look up the Grasshopper Chapel. And uh, give it a visit, and uh, you'll be happy that you did, I think. So it's a chapel dedicated to the Assumption of Our Lady. And, uh, yeah, it's a beautiful little story. I actually want to get back there because I started doing these little travel videos called Father Edward Visits, and I didn't do enough, like, video and and stuff. So I'd love to get back up there and to pray there uh, because it's a very special place, I think. So... Uh, wonderful. Well, thanks so much for sharing all of your wisdom as you've learned, as you've become a student uh, of Our Lady and her school from Champion and uh, how Sister Adele became your own little catechist along the way. So thanks so much for uh, joining me on How They Love Mary today. You are very welcome, Father. Thank you for the invitation. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. I am honored by how many people listen to How They Love Mary. I hope that you'll continue to listen over the upcoming months as we continue to go through, lesson by lesson, my book, How They Love Mary, 28 Life-Changing Stories of Devotion to Our Lady. If you were touched by today's episode, consider sharing it on social media. And if you haven't already done so, please rate and review the podcast so that it might help others find it as well. Again, thanks so much for listening. Know of my prayers for you please pray for me. God bless you and Mary intercede for you.